0: Greetings, podcast listeners, and welcome to another episode of All Things Thor, the podcast of Tom Thor, Thor Darson. I'm your host, Kurt Schneider, and we are up to episode 10 of Becoming an Imagineer in Tom's tale of working for Walt Disney Imagineering, creating the Tokyo Disney Sea Journey to the Center of the Earth attraction. It's been a great ride so far, literally. And we're really getting into the meat of it now. So, I'm going to hand it over to Tom and let him continue with Becoming an Imagineer, Part 10, on all things Thor. So, I'm enjoying my time outside right now. There's a slight breeze. It's California warm afternoon. Birds, wind chimes, all those sorts of things. And I'm approaching episode 10 of All Things Thor, the Becoming Imagineer focus episodes. So I'm going to move on. Um, As as things kind of settled in, um, I further started to understand the dynamics of Imagineering, which is something everyone has to do at any company. Um, you know, I started to not focus on things that were, you know, discouraging, but more uh, appreciating where I was. And certainly the, sub, the um, awareness of me being in the MAPO building um again um always crossed my mind because previous to that i was employed by ex-imagineers who worked in the golden era of Imagineering, and uh, many of which spent time in the maple building building the animatronics um from my understanding, uh, MAPO, M A P O, was kind of an acronym or uh, based on Mary Poppins um, when the production was being done. I guess there were some funds allocated from the studio when they were first trying to get WED Enterprises, uh, which would become Imagineering, uh, really rolling. Walt had um, focused on WED doing the props uh, and the early experimentation with animatronics and uh, the Mapo building where my office was uh, at this time when I was hired um, was where all the production as I said earlier was done starting with the mechanical bird um, that Mary Poppins held on her finger I remember in that great little uh, Scene <laughs> when she's singing, um, I believe it was the spoonful of sugar song. But she was singing, and um, uh, yeah, it was that. And there was that little bird, you know, that came and lighted on her finger, and it goes bee, 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 tweet 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 tweet. And she goes cheeky, and um, anyway, that bird was one of the animatronics made in this place the megbo building and i was aware of this and so me being the kind of guy i am always daydreaming always always feeling the energy of, of the places that i'm around and um appreciating you know things like that um i would sit in my office sometimes and and imagine what it was like before I got there, m- many decades before me. And it was, that again, um, is what recharged the pixie dust. The pixie dust term, meaning, you know, you're still enamored by working for Disney, working for Imagineering, and being quote unquote, part of the magic. And um, this definitely charged me. And... Uh, so i thought about this and daydreamed and such um uh, anyway um so um you know i started to think about the guy that was really the first one who brought me into this industry uh dave sweninger um who at sequoia um the first place they ever worked at um while still at art center college of design was um ran the whole shop here at mapo he was the guy that was sitting in here running um managing all of the um, uh, mechanical engineering that was going on for the first animatronic programming and movements and all those sorts of things he worked with bob gerr uh in the engineer his engineering department and uh, other designers and uh so i had heard a lot of stories from um dave when i was at sequoia the company that he started after he left disney and um he was he he was so entertaining as a storyteller and he'd tell all these funny things that happened when they were testing the animatronics when they were testing abe lincoln before that when they were all these funny things that would happen and some of the shenanigans that they would do you know like he talked about this one time and i and i had to try to figure out where it might have been when i was at the mapo building but he said we built a giant slingshot one time um, between the columns there was one end of the mapo building that had a couple of big columns and and, uh uh, kind of a uh, an entrance um cement steps that went up to where you got went inside and I'm guessing it might have been there, but he said we, we had this this huge amount of um, um, like surgical tubing or or tire or, you know tire rubber and we stretched this massive amount of it between the columns and then we put this thing in the middle that we could we could fire things off through across the whole parking lot um, that that uh, went all the way across uh across the the maple building and uh um down the parking lot and he would laugh and say you know we'd put different things in it we'd stretch it back and we'd fire that thing off and it would it would go like you know <laughs> like 300 yards way down the other end of the um thing and he would laugh and he, he it sounded like as hard as they worked they also played hard too and uh so I would reminisce in my brain about what what all the things that went on were there in between Walt's visits. You know, he did say that Walt would visit there and was very excited all the time about what was going on. And um, so this is, again, what recharged me. So as an Imagineer, um, and having the experience I shared with you in the last, last episode, you know, I had to find a way to myself up by the bootstraps and um and be just as excited and productive as i had been before um and i share this story about dave Swininger because he applies very much to the maple building as well as all kinds of things um the pirates the tiki birds um everything that was part of the mechanical engineering that went on at uh, walt disney imagineering and I had the privilege of him thinking so highly of me that he made me the director of design at his company and um, after he left Disney. And uh, I, as I might have mentioned before, I was uh, intimidated by that expectation, but uh, I just jumped in <laughs> and um, had a sizable design department and we... We did some incredible stuff for universal studios and other companies at that time um and again this was back when there was not a lot of technology available um of course in the engineering department they had their cad um uh, aided uh, drafting and other engineering tools but in the design department where where I, i headed up um you know uh it was uh drawing and painting and sculpting and dreaming and talking and model making and everything i mean that's how we made things work and that's how we presented things to sell everybody else on things we had no computers helping us we we had our hands and our imaginations and we had a library um the warner research library that was not too far away i think it was it was like bordering Burbank and Glendale, but we had there where we could go and do research and all that kind of stuff, and uh, and that's how we put ideas together. And uh, it was a very different uh, scenario than it is now. Um, but uh, nonetheless, uh, so the other thing I thought about it about the Mapo building was, you know back when they were um when they made these animatronic figures they had to get them to Disneyland um the first ones uh and um so they would just load them up you know in a in a truck or whatever and and get on the the freeway the 5 freeway which if any of you are familiar with the area where Imagineering is um, Uh, the 5 freeway is not too far away, the 134 and the 5, and they'd get on the 5 freeway in a flatbed truck, sometimes without a covering on it, and you'd see these pirates sticking out of the top and uh, (laughs) whatever else they had going on. And they'd head on down to Anaheim, to Disneyland, to be installing these things. And um, I always thought that was pretty funny. Uh, You can imagine what people on the freeway thought you know in the late 50s and 60s and you know what the heck are these guys doing you know and um also i'm a california native so my grandma and my mom and everyone they grew up in this area and they tell me stories of how when they a number of times when they were on the five freeway uh, wherever they were going, I mean, they loved to go to Knott's Berry Farm in the late '50s, early '60s, and they liked to go to Disneyland, of course. And um, so a couple of times on the freeway, they said they saw Walt Disney in his car just driving on the freeway. And one time, my mom said she'll never forget. My, her mom, my grandma said, Omphord. Oh, goodness sakes that's there's walt disney and they drove right past him and they all waved he was driving himself in his own little car i don't remember what kind of car it was but he he waved at them and smiled and they smiled and waved back you know it was it was pretty incredible that you'd see walt disney just driving away you know on the five freeway uh he was probably on his way down to disneyland to oversee something that was going on and uh, I thought that was pretty cool You know, and so again the reason I'm bringing up these stories um, And how they apply to Imagineering is these were the fundamental uh, Things that inspired me to want to become an Imagineer um, It was Walt's way of Imagineering and it was the things they did and and it, and creative, um, and artists were fundamentally the foundation of, uh, of the ideas and the, um, the driving force and funding of course had to happen, but you know, Walt often thought that came next. You know, we start with doing the coolest stuff you can possibly imagine. Then we find a way how to afford it. And, uh, my experience is that process has changed quite a bit. So there's a little bit of California afternoon, Santa Ana breezes blowing across the mic. Uh, Anyway, so... um, So while... Right about this time when I was uh, working on Journey to the Center of the Earth, um, I was doing and working on a number of other projects that were were potential. They they had me working on... um, other potential attractions in the mysterious island area of Tokyo Disney Sea uh, which is the giant volcano um, and uh, we can hear kids in the local school that's not too far away um, and uh, so I was hammering out a lot of different ideas I um, uh, uh, for the um, undersea grand prix i came up with an idea called the undersea grand prix that's almost an episode in itself because it's really a fun concept for, for a ride um of an underwater submarine uh race if you imagine uh, star tours uh, meets um an aquatic theme with all kinds of not only motion based but all kinds of other special effects you know that happened in there it was a really fun show and uh i i just was given the assignment of coming up with something and i came up with this wacky attraction and uh all by myself and pitched it and everyone loved it um and i'll tell you what happened with that later um why and why it didn't make it all the way to completion, but and it wasn't the fault of Disney. It was a whole other dynamic that uh, is just part of the industry and uh, you got, you got to accept that. Um, another thing um, that was so fun back then at my time in Imagineering was visiting my fellow Imagineering friends and co-workers. You know, in the Maple building it had two, le- uh, two floors and um, then the big area in the middle that I told you about um, where at one time there was all kinds of manufacturing as I imagine it going on there was probably lines of animatronic figures being programmed and all kinds of things and now it was more empty except for the giant models that we had made um, of the Disney Seas site and um, uh, it started to, as the uh, team grew they started to put uh, other employees down in that area in cubicles and desks that were starting to get involved with architectural development and other things. But um, I got a chance to kind of like watch that area out my my window on the second floor go from not much going on other than my imagination to to the development of this uh, growth. You know. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, some of my friends. Um, I mean, I, in this whole thing, I'm not going to name um, a lot of people because um, the whole purpose of this is giving, pretending like you're sitting in my pocket and you're. I'm giving you an honest, 100% honest um, view along with my pondering of what was going on so that we can... Th- just experience it together, you know. Just like, what does this mean? Is this <laughs> was this a great experience? Was it at sometimes a challenging experience? You know, what is it? So um, that's always that's kind of the the baseline of how I'm telling this story. Um, I certainly don't want to throw anybody under the bus, and I and I certainly don't feel it's fair to overly um, show favoritism towards too many people um because imagineering is a team you know in in the end it it takes hundreds to make a disneyland it does it's not just one person or 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 even a half a dozen so um What was fun was always visiting, again, my other um, imaginary co-workers in their offices and when I'd want to take a break and stretch my legs. And Dave was his first name. He was working on uh, Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull for Disney uh, Seas. And so I'd go into his office. He had a tremendous personality, he still does. Um, We've kept him in touch, you know, through social media and he was an amazing research guy i mean there i hope when we go um into the video podcasts on this that i can get him on here to tell some of the stories of when they were doing research for indiana jones and the crystal skull he has some great stories when they were in south america and uh, they're so funny and so adventurous and he's an indiana jones himself and uh his, his office was loaded full of uh, uh, models like, you know, um, um, Ray Harryhausen um, models of cyclopses and uh, flying saucers and all that kind of stuff. And one of my fondest memories with Dave was um, I was just starting to try to teach myself guitar And he was like Oh, I, I play guitar Let's play a guitar together You know, during lunch And so I brought my guitar in there And we started to play together First song we played together he, That he taught me that, And we would sing it together Was uh, Run River Run By Kenny Loggins And um you know, we had it down fairly good, good enough to be confident together. As this, uh, we both had very deep voices. We went in and we started singing this song for different people. I remember going into the rock work department during lunch and we sang for a couple of the girls that worked in the rock, uh, in the rock work department. Oh, yeah, we were rock stars, right? I, I, when I think about it. Um, and, uh, other people and um of course we were we were probably plausibly good because or at least that's what everyone told us they really enjoyed us seeing in there um we were so enthusiastic about doing it it was probably more our our enthusiasm that was infectious rather than the quality of our playing <clears throat> but nonetheless it was really a nice outlet and um then there was Suzanne, who was working on Mermaid Lagoon, and sometimes I'd go in there and sit her with her for a moment, or, and we'd talk about all of the all of her experiences with Disney. She she was very close, a close friend of John Hench, um, so she'd tell some of the stories, you know, that John Hench had told her about the old times, and uh, and she was an amazing talent that was again working on Mermaid Lagoon for. Tokyo Disney season. Incredible blacklight uh, UV paint artist. I mean, she could do things with black light paint that you have n- would not believe. I mean, and I'm not talking about just this the funky 60s psychedelic stuff that you're used to seeing. I mean, she could take black light and subtly mix hues together so that you some things glowed a little bit, some things glowed more. She could mix complicated, neutral colors so that a fireplace really looked like it was glowing. And and um, a cauldron, I mean, I, she was working on Fantasyland um, when they were rehabbing Fantasyland, I believe for Euro Disneyland before she got on this project. And so I was able to see a lot of her little uh, comps, her uh, her studies. <clears throat> that were going to go into the field when she art directed it and you know the witch's cauldron the way it glowed uh, in with all the other colors on the walls and everything all in black light paint just blew my mind i mean i kept putting the black light the test black light that i had in my that i rented from the lighting department and put it on these little illustration boards and i just i couldn't believe there was not fiber optic lights in the paper that were not glowing uh, in front of my eyes. Um, She was so skilled at this. And it it just, again, blew my mind. It was just always amazing that some of these talented people that I work with, um, you knew they were imaginary material. Uh, They just were very special. And I have very, very fond memories of that. I would also go to the, <clears throat> to the uh, engineering department uh, because that was part of my job to check on how the props and things were coming along and to see their demonstrations and their engineering. And um, I had a friend named Larry, um, um, Larry in there that was uh, working on the uh, um, lava monster animation. And uh, they did have CAD... Um, and, uh, animation simulation going on there. We were trying to work work the scene out to perfectly match however many seconds we had. It was less time that I would have liked with the lava monster at the end of... Uh, at, the, at the climax of the ride, but um, it was enough time to tell a story, and so we kept going back and forth, and he would make adjustments, and we'd re-watch it, and re-watch it, rewatch it, and... Um, He was a great guy. And like I said, I worked with him at Sequoia with Bob Gurr. Bob Gurr had hired him, and they were working on uh, Catastrophe Canyon and a lot of the Universal um, um, attractions. Uh, And uh, Larry later went to Imagineering around the same time I did. Um. So also the... The head of, kind of, as I remember, he was either the lead or the head engineer in the engineering department. And he and I both were divers, I mean, scuba divers. And so he and I would get into discussions and and he had all these books on on, uh, hard hat diving and old time diving uh, apparatus and all this stuff. And we'd get into all these Uh, analytical uh, uh, discussions about about um, you know coming up with ways of uh, of being able to go underwater you know with devices and submarines and things and I loved sitting down and talking with him and the funny thing about it was he looked like Captain Nemo from the Disney movie he had a beard and Similar facial structure, and so when I t- <laughs> talked to him, it was a very surreal experience to be talking about diving, um, and yet I was talking about diving with a guy who looked like Captain Nemo. You know, it was it was quite uh, a mind tease, should I say? You know, also, lunchtime was really cool at WDI. They had incredible good food at the the d- diner cafeteria area right outside the courtyard there. I mean, it was delicious. And um, um, they had a patio full of tables with umbrellas outside. You could also eat inside, but I always like to eat outside and, you know, talk to my friends and uh it it was really magical there it was great and you'd also see a lot of um old time uh, old time disney guys coming in from the studio that would be there for one reason or another sitting down at a table or so so you could sit down at a table um with uh, a lot of the old time guys um the remaining nine old men that were still there they would often be there and uh, just coming to get a good meal at WDI, and that was that was really 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 fun. Um, yeah, I remember one time um, after uh, Michael Eisner had recommended that they remove the Skyway buckets at Disneyland, um, for some reason WDI acquired like two or three of them, and they were put in the um, patio. Where we ate, uh, just kind of plopped there, and uh, they were um, uh, like little eating uh, booths um, <laughs> when they were when they were dumped there. Um, so we we would go in there. What, some of us, if if you were lucky enough to to grab one before someone else did, we we'd sit in there. You, you could fit about four people in there. And we'd sit in there and eat our lunch. We'd take our lunch from the cafeteria, and and uh, we, we'd sit in there, and we'd talk and jibber jabber, and you know, with the little door closed, and um, sitting in the one of the old um, uh, skyway vehicles, and that was quite fun. It was it was really really fun. Um, you know, these are the kind of things that were. Again, feeding the pixie dust, feeding the the whole syner- synergy and the everything of what Disney meant to me and why I was there, um, and what I had been privileged to be part of. Well, um, I also um, am going to elaborate coming up in the next episode of. Uh, the uh, paintouts that we had, um, a paintout was something that was a privilege. I don't know if they do it anymore. I don't think so at WDI, not that I've heard of, but, um, Peggy van Pelt, who was at that time in charge of really looking at all of the applications to, for imaginary, um, uh, was in charge of creative, kind of creative uh, nurturing and development for all of us. So she <laughs> would look for opportunities to set up drawing classes and uh, different things for us to have at lunchtime. Like across the street there was a red brick building where we'd have life drawing classes if we wanted to go and just sit and draw. Um, also Tom Gillian um our Tom Gilligan. And if you don't know who Tom Gillian is, you got to look him up. Um, who, who was an integral part of, um, Imagineering, um, working with Herbie Reimann and, uh, a fantastic painter did a lot of bird's eye, um, paintings and concept paintings. And, uh, back in the day. And, uh, he, uh, he was now, um, he had moved to Montana, and uh, so um, he still did concept paintings for Disney and did a lot for us at, um, on the Disney Seas Project. But he also ran what was called the Paint Out Program, which meant Peggy would sh- give like five imagine- uh, illustrator artist Imagineers the opportunity to go for five days I think it was um, to Montana where he lived and we would have a workshop for five days where we just went out into the Montana landscape and set up our our easels and did um, paintings of the landscape and Tom would give us pointers and, and look at different things you know at how to go about doing plein air painting and it was additionally fun because we we got treated like uh (laughs) like like royalty there and got to stay at um this lodge i think it was called the fly fisherman's lodge and it was for kind of upper end businessmen to come and go fly fishing on the on the river there but um, gourmet food, you know, gourmet, they had a gourmet chef, the wife of the husband who ran the place and these little bungalows we stayed in. Um, and, uh, so at the end of the day, after painting all day and driving around the Montana, beautiful Montana, um, open countrysides, uh, <clears throat> we would, we would come back to an incredible dinner with wine and dessert and all of us go back to our our little our little uh, lodge cabins and get ready for the next day and that was a heck of a lot of fun. Um, one of my favorite times is when just two of us went. We were sent. Me and Brian Jowers who I would love to talk about a lot, Brian Jowers um, on his own. Was a friend of mine there. He's a very incredibly talented concept designer and illustrator and painter. Did a lot of the concept art for Indiana Jones for Disneyland that you that you've seen. I'm sure if you've ever gone to the gallery uh, shows um, and seen his work. Um, and it was just he and I and uh, Tom Gillian. One time, and I, I don't think I could ever match that trip. We had the time of our lives. Uh, it was just incredible fun. We even had Tom was working on some other project, another thing for another part of uh, Imagineering, and he needed someone a model as two Indians, <laughs> two pl- two Plains Indians. So he he got costumes and. Brian Jowers and I were dressed up like these Apaches <clears throat> and we had to be out there doing different things like action poses and all this kind of stuff as Tom did a photo shoot that he was able to use for uh, a reference for these paintings and it was a <laughs> it was a total hoot it was so much fun um, and again these were incredibly refreshing for us you know when we had all the pressure we had back at Imagineering that to go on these paintouts. And I have to thank Peggy Van Pelt for her, her amazing devotion to, to make sure that these things happen so that we were constantly reminded that an Imagineer isn't just a somebody who, you know, works and busts their ass uh, for under a budget that's created by some businessman but they're artists and uh, Walt knew this too you know you you it's 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 a fine line uh, between being an artist and being what he originally called an imagineer you know Um, it's it's a whole different level of discipline and some are cut out for it, some are not Um, but I just ate it all up I ate it up and I'll I'll start to elaborate again, more um, in the next episode about Another guy who inspired me back um, when I was still in school who came from Disney, um, old timer, who was a huge advocate of this, um, this whole uh, um, idea that I'm telling you about, about artists, what they need in order to grow and what a corporation needs to do in order to get the most and benefit the most. Out of their talent. See you soon. Or talk to you soon.